Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to makingauthenticfriendships.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 90. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. So happy to have you. If you have been listening, thank you so much for coming on back. I really cannot believe that this is episode 90. (laughs) That's very exciting. Uh, We are just getting very close to 100 episodes, which seems nuts. Um, But I'm super excited for you guys to be here. And especially today, I'm really looking forward to this episode. My guest is Jean Mayer, which Jean and I, we talked about this in the beginning. We have been in correspondence for a while and we had just kind of connected on Instagram and she was just a wonderful supporter of the show and we just sort of got to know each other and I really was just blown away by her advocacy and what a just amazing, awesome, strong mama that she is. So I'm so excited for her to be on the show today. We did record this a few months back. This is before all the coronavirus craziness set in. So there's no mention of that today. Um, And we talk about a few different things that I'm sure look a little bit different for Jean and her family now. We talk about her running for her her school board and sort of that whole process, which, I mean, I don't even know. School is so up in the air right now. Um, So some of these things I'm sure have changed quite a bit. But Jean's story is really inspiring. She herself is really inspiring. So having her on and just hearing her story was amazing. Um, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear all that. We did have a little bit of a snafu. I believe it's around like 25 minutes or so. Um, the recording kind of cuts out, but it comes right back in and then everything was fine after that. So if you hear something that sounds a little wonky at that part, just stick with it because it'll come right back in. Um, but I don't want to say anything else because I want to let Jean do the talking. <laughs> so without further ado, here's my conversation with Jean. Hi, Jean. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for making this happen. Uh, we've been we've been playing tag, <laughs> trying to settle on a date. So I really, really appreciate you sticking with me and uh, making this happen for both of us. Oh, well, I just appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod and chat with me. Like you said, we have been, we've been in correspondence for a while now and you were just like an amazing supporter of the show and you were just reaching out to me and we, I mean, we just kind of 
had sort of back and forth talking about our kids and our lives and just everything you have going on. And I was just like, all right, you, we need to get you on the podcast because you have like so much to say that I think is really valuable. So I'm super excited to have you. Um, Obviously I know a little bit about your journey, but for listeners, if you would kind of take us back to the beginning and what that looked like for you and your family, I would love to hear. Yeah. um, Yeah. I, uh, since I get to actually do this a little bit um, where I get to do storytelling for, for Roy, I can kind of get through it a little bit faster where it shouldn't take too long. Um, so I have two children. My family and I am I'm married. I've been married for over 12 years now. Um, and uh, we moved to Texas uh, four years ago. We originally were living in Baltimore, Maryland. My husband's family is originally from uh, New York, um, but we are, we are, we were, both East Coast inhabitants, and um, we moved to Texas because my husband had a job opportunity. I was a an event planner at an event firm at the time, um, and um, I cut ties with that. Um, I was pregnant with McKenna. I ended up on bed rest, so I even moved to Texas while I was on bed rest with her. Oh, and wow. Bree being a toddler, he had just turned two. Um, and um, so life was kind of a whirlwind. She came three weeks after we moved like on the dot 37 weeks. She was right. She just cooked just the perfect amount of time. Oh my um, <laughs> and uh, so with Rory now, so he has two, well, three diagnoses technically. So he is autistic. He has ASD. Um, he's also ADHD. Uh, he's also had a first diagnosis he received was his um, speech severe, severe receptive and expressive speech delay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we did not receive any of those diagnoses until we were a year after living in Texas. Um, it wasn't until we turned three that we had that speech evaluation done. Um, I had, I was Rory definitely looking back as a baby, even before we left the hospital, there were sensory things present. Mm. Um, and I've spent a lot of time educating myself on autism and even the history of autism and even learning that uh, it wasn't until the most recent um, revision of the DSM-5 that sensory was even a profile characteristic of, of autism, right? Which, mm-hmm. which is, which would explain why many of our pediatric community is not, those who have been in the game for a while, aren't necessarily up to speed with current diagnostic material, mm-hmm. um, in addition to other things. <laughs> so, um, I, he seemed to me, I, I, I grew up, um, where I actually, I babysat a child that was severely autistic and ap- epileptic as well mm. and nonverbal. And so I had a preconceived notion of what I thought autism was. My husband, when Rory turned 12 months old, he had, met all of his like physical milestones um, and just didn't have the repertoire of speech yet. He had some words, but not the full repertoire of even at that 12 month old mark. Mm -hmm. And and it continued, right? Like maybe we got another one or two words or sounds by 18 months. And at 18 months, 
he started to become a different child. Um, he, as a baby, he was really honestly easy. Mm-hmm. But now what I now recall as being easy is that my son was indifferent a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not quite the same thing in learning the distinction between both. And he would have joint attention occasionally. But again, that ratio of joint attention was very, was very limited. I thought, well, he just has mayor selective hearing because that's what I call my <laughs> that I thought that was just a, a mayor trait. I did not believe that that was necessarily a trait of any type of like difference um, neurologically. So I, I, I had a um, nanny at the time. She was my stepmom. She was a pediatric nurse. She felt firmly that Rory was just a quote unquote late talker mm-hmm. and the pediatric pediatrician we saw, we went, we was at Johns Hopkins, which Johns Hopkins is like one of the most acclaimed world hospitals, Mm -hmm. um, even for in the understanding of, of autism, because they are associated with Kennedy Krieger Institute. And our pediatrician looked right at my husband after that M chat and said, your son is not autistic. He's looking at me. And I'm like, oh, wow. So he left kind of disgruntled and I left feeling kind of satisfied, but thinking, okay, well, my son is just going to be a late talker. Mm-hmm. So after we moved, I wasn't as acute to it initially, but probably after McKenna was born, it was apparent that Rory had lost the language that he did have mm. down to maybe just saying mom or dad and nothing else. Okay. Um, and I had a friend who was a speech pathologist and, um, she didn't really work with pediatrics anymore, but her son had had a delay and she um, gave me some tips and tricks to help, you know, circumvent and, and get some, you know, origin of like language going. And I was trying to do it at home um, because we couldn't get him in any preschools at the time. There was such a waiting list to like moving to Austin. I might as well move to New York City because <laughs> basically would have had to put your kids like on a waiting list for for preschool, like before they came out of the womb, like that's, so it was really hard getting him into a preschool. Um, uh, does Austin have an EI program, like early intervention? So they do, they do have ECI, but I didn't really know about ECI okay. at the time. Um, and by the time that I figured it out, Lori had turned three. Okay. Turned. So we kind of missed the mark, but, um, we did end up going and getting his FIE done um, after his speech eval. So we got the speech eval done. And honestly, the speech diagnosis was way more upsetting um, mm-hmm. just because the way that the practitioner had done it. So she came in, she did an assessment and didn't really, well, we actually even, we had to, it took us a while to find somebody that was um, in network um, and had availability, um, mm-hmm. to t- go on the caseload. And, um, she just wasn't, no one was, and that pediatrician we had at the time, just really, there wasn't a lot of direction of like mm-hmm. what to hate. So it was like two weeks went by and then we got a letter in the mail or an envelope and it was the diagnosis <laughs> and it was explaining his assessment. Like nobody called us to go talk over this. No one sent this to our pediatrician to like, call us in to talk about this. And like, I, I, I had no idea what to expect. And then, you know, I, they called to line up, like doing the first sets of, you know, therapy and getting him on the schedule and 
getting approval because he did end up starting a preschool just like a couple like like that August that year that he had turned that he was turning three. Mm -hmm. um, so he did start he was in a preschool and it was densely populated. That's what I'll say. So it was very overstimulating for him. We had he had separation anxiety meltdown every single day, like yeah. every day. It was devastating to leave him. Was it um, preschool like for special needs or like? No. Mm -mm. It was and again, like we didn't at this point when we put him in there, we had no idea that he was different. You know, we didn't know, like not like no, no. Mm -hmm. um, it just became more apparent because right. he was he he wasn't really engaging with the kids he was withdrawn he was stuck you know if we came to pick him up he was like sitting in a corner by himself it was it was really sad for me to see him like that um That's what i was just gonna say is like for you as his mother at this point were you thinking like okay something else maybe is going on here or were you just like oh he's little he's having a hard time like where was your your head i definitely felt my head at this time was that he definitely has a speech delay, right? Because yeah. everything I was doing, you know, wasn't working and I was well advised <laughs> by the SLP. And then, you know, he, once the therapy started, and this was the first time I learned that, you know, our kids tend to develop behaviors when there's something new presented to them. And it was really difficult to manage, but yet no one had explained to me to anticipate that he might be challenging or with what do these behaviors mean when he's, you know, acting this way. Mm -hmm. So by the time that we, I like started experiencing that and trying to chase around our current pediatrician at the time to get him to give me some explanation and see what else we could, you know, what else do I need to be considering? You know, my in-laws were here and they basically sat us down and had to come to Jesus and said, there's something else going on with Rory and we think you need to look deeper into it. It's not just speech. Mm -hmm. And that was like heart sinking for me. Um, and, but, you know, I was on board with whatever I had to do. So um, we'd met with a pediatrician and he did say, yes, I think that we should, you should go to, the, you know, set up an FIE with the school district um, have him evaluated there. And then, um, what is FIE? I don't think I know that. Uh, um, it's a, it's basically just the initial, so it's just like the early childhood evaluation, but it's for school eligibility. So it's basically so that oh. he can receive services from the school. Okay. Um, I don't know, call it that here, but I, we definitely yeah. did that. We did an evaluation for school too. Right. And I have to be careful with acronyms because everybody, <laughs> they're just like a little different everywhere. And it makes it like, you're like, wait, what is that? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. 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 And I always, I have, I am, I have like dyslexia myself. So I tend to also invert those letters sometimes. So I like, I see them one way and I'm saying them a completely different way or I'm, I'm the output. The input is different than the output. Um, totally me too. I'm just going <laughs> to have a really hard, I was literally, this is like so off topic, but I was just saying to my husband that I just realized that the singer, the weekend doesn't have an E in weekend. Like that's <laughs> like when I look at the name weekend without an E, it just still doesn't, doesn't look any different to me than I saw it like on my, my radio screen. And I was like, Oh, that's me too. Me yes! too. <laughs> me too. That's why I'm the worst proofreader that there is because oh, I'm I'm horrible. I, I will proofread and I read it like 
I envisioned it. Like, uh huh. It's yeah. If so- anyone listening has ever received a message or an email from me, they probably know that because there's like a million typos and just like uh-huh. I leave out letters. Yeah, I was actually diagnosed with dyslexia when I was in sixth grade, so I truly am diagnosed with it, and I'm I've I've definitely come a long ways, but um, it is still it is still a challenge. So yeah, the the acronyms definitely can can give me a run for my money, and there's just so many to follow anyway. So okay, so- right? They change and they change. Yeah, because Texas is also changing what they call their, their, um, preschool education, which was PPCD. They're going to change it to ECES and don't, I don't ask me what it stands for because I can't remember, but like they're, they're already changing that. So it's oh like, goodness. Okay. But at his, his evaluation for preschool and then where did you go from there? Uh, yeah. So, um, at that time at the, at the pediatric visit, I'd asked him, I wanted to have a referral you know, for a neurologist that I just wasn't going to, you know, get a diagnosis from the school district. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Um, That was just my own personal hunch. And that was just a security net that I needed, which I'm still very grateful that I did. And I would advise anybody to do it because I will put in a statistic here. I read a statistic that two thirds of those diagnosed with families that have children diagnosed with autism do not seek additional supports for like medical specialists and experts after diagnosis. That means that everyone, two thirds of people are just running off of their diagnosis that they received from a, from their school district, Mm -hmm. which is to me kind of crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. I can imagine not having our medical team support in, in all of this with, with and educationally I just I just can't imagine it I totally agree with you but I also am like everyone is on their own journey (laughs) so I would definitely give the advice like you said to you know to seek an actual medical diagnosis I think you would just end up with like more support um but I just I like I said I think I think everyone kind of is on their own journey and doing things in their own time right so that would be my advice as well is, is to, to, to seek the medical diagnosis, because I think so often there is just a lot of fear around that and kind of everything that goes with it, but all it's really going to do is help your child. Right. Right. And I mean, honestly, it's been, what I also had to learn and what was end up being helpful is that every state has different legislation that garners your rights. So, I learned quickly, you know, just skipping around a little bit, but I learned quickly, like when I had to appeal, when ABA got denied initially, like I had to learn, like, all right, what are my rights here? What is my, what are my grounds? Like what is mandated in the state of Texas and how do I need to leverage myself? Um, I ended up firing our current pediatrician because he just, he was not, he was not, he was, he was not the good, he was not a good uh, model for like, he was, he was also about to retire. You know, he's totally an old timer. <laughs> oh, wow. I think we've been through like four or five pediatricians. So, I mean, I was for like, I interviewed a lot of like developmental pediatricians, pediatricians that specialized with kids with special needs, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to have, I wanted this to be teamwork with what yeah. was coming out of that office needed to be teamwork. And, um, so I did, I, who we have now, I absolutely love and adore. And they, they are, we are, we are a, we are a great team together. Um, so 
so I'd gotten that neurologist appointment just on the heels after we had the FIE. So that school evaluation, we went, and I have to tell you, we, we attempted this twice because we went first initially. And within the first 10 minutes, the woman said to me, and I should also preface this in, in Texas, there is a um, discrepancy and major like, um, what's the word? I can't now think of the word. They did, there's not enough psychologists to serve the population in general. So that means there's not enough psychologists to even serve the school districts. So what they do is they appoint, you know, teachers who have more tenure and experience and, and certify them as diagnosticians. Mm. So this teacher is doing this evaluation. She has an SLP with her doing, and the first 10 minutes she's meeting Rory, she's like, have you considered autism? And I was so mad <sighs> because she just met us. Mm -hmm. You know, she just met us. However, I know also now being in this world, it's like, he kind of jumps out at you now, you know, mm -hmm. so I respect and see why she immediately jumped to that because she wasn't wrong. She just didn't have a pulse on me yet and where I was in my journey. And she like kind of jumped in that conversation. Oh, I, get that. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then we then go to the neurologist and uh, well, we went and did the F, we went for the second time and actually had an autism evaluation with the state. So she did get to find, fully do it. She wanted to deliver an autism diagnosis. And I said, you know, I would prefer to receive the diagnosis from the neurologist. You know, if he weighs in on all of this criteria, your data, as well as my data and the pediatrician, then we'll see and what his observations are, then we'll see where we land. So she said, well, he's still eligible for services. So I'm going to put him as non-categorical non early childhood, mm -hmm. um, which is what they do is that obviously he had learning deficits. So they were still going to make services available to him. Uh, but we did not, what I, the district we were in at the time we were in central, this is when we were in central Austin, I got to learn real quick there was major discrepancies within the district that there were schools that were poorly rated. There were schools that were highly rated. The ones that were highly rated were capped off with transfers, even for their population of special ed students. And the school that we were zoned for didn't even have the early intervention program. And so it was like, what is going on? I was like, this is not for us right now. Let's just focus on private therapy. Let's keep them in the, in the preschool that he is right now and focus on our private therapy journey for now. But this was a good head start and introduction to the school side of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, the neurologist visit, you know, I, I'd done a lot of research leading up to it too. And I was kind of feeling like, well, you know, Rory has a lot of sensory things. Like, so I, I'm really confident that it's not autism. It's sensory processing disorder with speech delay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And of course, we're in this like, you know, appointment for like an hour and a half and um, he pauses and he says, okay, mom, so um, I, I want to really know what you think first, you know, give your time to give me your thoughts, you know, where you think Rory is and um, then I'm going to deliver my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And um, so I repeated to him what I just said and then he said, okay. So you're not there yet, and I totally get it, but I'm going to get you there. Mm. But I'm delivering a diagnosis of autism, and I'm going to tell you why. And he said the very first kicker was that 
you know, he had some speech and he lost it. Anytime there's a regression of a lost developmental skill is a huge indicator. Um, and then, you know, then he went in to describe the other, you know, attributes um, that Rory displayed. And then I was like, okay. Um, he said, at that time, we had occupational therapy lined up already. We had speech. We had started hippotherapy. So Rory does equine-assisted therapy. Okay. Um, and he said, you have all of those things lined up, but we need the, the last component. I would like for you to get ABA. And I was like, what is ABA? <laughs> <laughs> and he hands me this packet. And they highlight the ones that we are approved for within network. And I'm like, what is this? Like I've, what is, what is this? Well, first I, I had my daughter with me too. Like, of course I'm I took the day I got done by myself with both kids, Brad's <laughs> the office. I feel like I walked out as a wounded animal on a raft with no oar, like kind oh, of. I feel that for you. Honestly, hearing you say that breaks my heart because I remember, and I was there with my husband that day, but I like that feeling of being that wounded animal walking out. Like that's such a perfect way to describe it. But I had my husband to lean on and we both, it was like we were wounded together. So for you to be like, not only on your own, but then also have your kids with you and have to like keep your composure with them. I give you so much credit for doing that. So you obviously, yeah, like you walked out heartbroken. What came next? So and and to be honest, to be heartbroken, like it was more like a nice, it was more of like being heartbroken over like not, it wasn't like, how do I fix my son? This it was, ne I never had that mm -hmm. mind. It was always, okay, well now how am I going to help him? Um, mm -hmm. It was more or less like having to say goodbye to many old versions of me. Yeah. Right. So like that was more of it. It was more of like, I already felt like I was drowning in motherhood and I was like, Oh, I, I didn't even know that I was about where, how fat I was about to drown. Mm -hmm. um, is that I first? totally, that's, that's what I meant by heartbroken. Not that you were yeah. heartbroken. Like, like you said, it's not, it's not right. anything wrong with your child, but it's like saying goodbye to versions of yourself and just versions of your life. Like, it's just like, you get that diagnosis. And I think every now and then I talk to someone who's like, I felt like, ready for it and empowered by it but I think it, no matter how much you're prepared for it because we were prepared for it too you still have that feeling like the rug just got pulled out from under you yeah um, that's there, what, I, what I mean right yeah so much uncertainty well the reason why I say that and I specify that is there's so much dialogue within our community of whether you, you know what what is grief around a diagnosis and um so I was like to specify that in terms of like how I felt. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. didn't feel like I, I mean, I don't feel like I lost, <laughs> I don't feel like I lost a child. Like he's my child. Um, right. Uh, I don't. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Cause I know what you mean. People do sometimes, I mean, there, there's so much like conflict. <laughs> within... And, and all of those other <laughs> are just as valid. It yeah. just muddied. In, in that because other people's expressions aren't necessarily totally clear or they even think like it doesn't mean just because that may have been an ugly feeling like it doesn't mean that it has bad intentions it's just it just is you know and we just have to be able to be with how people feel about things because everybody is on their own journey um I think it's just like to me especially after doing this show and talking to so many people like you said we we have moments where we feel 
things and it doesn't mean that we're proud of it or that we felt it for a long time but honestly like I I really have to disrespect any parent going through especially that that moment in particular of like getting the diagnosis because I think that I think it's like totally okay to feel like you're grieving and even if like you said those feelings don't last forever and I I I, I don't think they should I think if they're still lasting then it's like there's an issue but I think in that moment, you just don't know up from down. So it's like the things that you feel are not necessarily rational or even, you know, when you kind of get your bearings, how you really feel. But like, yeah, when you said wounded animal, I completely can identify with that. And that just like stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, I because I, that medical training program, I get to hear stories from other um, parents and, and it's, you know, it's just like all of them feel that way when they get that diagnosis. It's mm-hmm. like, I, there was no guidance. There was no one like ready to hold my hand. I really honestly did expect that. I will tell you, I expected that. I'm going to tell you why I expected that guidance because when people have received cancer diagnoses, there's mm-hmm. all other appointments right afterwards and they have all of these meetings and they meet with these nurses and why that is, does not to undermine the diagnosis of cancer or anything. It's to applaud the support that is given that is definitely deserved, but it should be also be given to the special, those with special needs um, with any type of, any type of diagnosis. Like there should be that same level of guidance and support. And it just, you have to fight to find some kind, something that even resembles that. Um, And it's so disheartening. I mean, I hope in my lifetime, by the time that I leave this earth, that, that, that support is there. So, so, so basically when I left, you know, he gave me that stack of, you know, ABA. I'm like, what is ABA? And I'm starting to look into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like horror stories. And then (laughs) I'm messaging my friend. She's a neurobehavioral nurse at Kennedy Krieger, or she was at the time. And she was like, no, you need to run to ABA, not quite the opposite. And started, you know, leveling with me on it. And um, she was like, it's not, everything that it, you know, was in the past. And she was sort of trying to put it into her own words. And mind you, it's like, you remembered that was like, this is just this mind blowing concept. What is this mm-hmm. therapy that they're telling me I need 30 to 40 hours of like, Oh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he's uh, my, my found out my um, husband's cousin was a BCBA. And I'm like, Oh, let me talk to Melissa because I totally can level with her you know, and, you know, she gave me a lot of great insights and things to kind of look for and like what, and kind of what to expect and, um, what I'd be seeking in in terms of a provider. And that was, that was helpful. And I actually wish there's more guidance in terms of that because not all providers, and this is all therapies, it's not just ABA, but all therapies are not created equal. Oh yeah. Definitely. You know, it's about the expertise. It's about the integral, the integrity of the person giving the therapy. And then it has to be a two-way street. I feel so strongly about that when it is not, it is not a working scenario for anyone. And it's probably going to end up in a very traumatizing scenario for your child. We have had some situations like that with Rory and I've had to fire therapists and, and you know, I'm sure you have had to do the same or be like we've been pretty lucky I wouldn't say we've had any traumatic situations but we've had definitely some where it wasn't the right fit and we've had to let people go not like in you know a contentious way necessarily right. but right. I, I completely echo everything you're saying and that's something that I've 
I've tried to, you know, really advocate for ABA with the, with the podcast and just explain to people that, you know, it doesn't have to be the horror story. And I think oftentimes it's not, but it, you know, with most things, it's like, you do hear the negative. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I, I honor what people are saying when they've had those experiences and I feel horrible for people who've had those bad experiences. But I think that like, like even like your husband's cousin said, which what a great resource for you. That's awesome that you had like someone to talk to who was knowledgeable at ABA, like right from the start mm-hmm. that, you know, it's it's not necessarily what you think it is. And that's why my advice with ABA is always just like, give it a shot. It might not be right for your child. You, you know, you might not find the right team or therapist right off the bat, but if it is right, it's so right. Right. And so here's my, and then kind of can catch us up a little bit to more current events and where we are. But, um, so it took six months to get ABA approved. Um, once I even got the, you know, hired a new pediatrician, she helped me write my appeals when we got the denials and, overturned all of that and got approved right away. It was amazing. And, um, then once he started, it was like leaps and bounds. Um, and I did pick a provider that was not like, yes, I know that obviously they are, they were doing it on science-based evidence-based stuff, but it was more individualized than that. And it was definitely play play based. It was not punitive, um, though we did have ups and downs with that provider and he had lots of transitions. There were times when it wasn't so great and I thought I was going to have to transition him out. Um, we had made a decision. We'd found a, a school to send him to, which was a private school for that specialized in communication disorders. And we thought, oh, wow, this would be a lovely sanctuary for my child whose major deficit is communication. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was not a good fit. And what I learned is, is that when you are in a private institution, you then do not have the same rights that you would have to exercise in a school situation. So I had to take a step back. We pulled him out of that private school. Um, and I just did ABA full time until we moved to Pflugerville, where we live now. Mm. Um, and I did lots of research before we moved here to this district. I, I researched all of the best districts in the area of Texas. Um, and here's the the conundrum that Texas faces. Okay, so UT, where we are, Austin is. You just heard uh, University of Texas is uh, based out of. So they are like one of the top ten countries in like early autism intervention research so outside of that you mean there all there's all these private care resources that are just kind of bled from from that from the university so you have that from the private end of things however from the school end of things texas though has a great public education for the general population but they are on the bottom rung (laughs) for special education Mm. so it was quite you know diligent effort on my part of researching what were the best districts in Texas for special education because they did exist and Pflugerville was one of them that gave had a good foundation to work with um unlike what I experienced when we lived in central Austin there was much less discrepancy when I went to visit five of the elementary schools that we would possibly be zoned for um and I finally settled on one we then settled on a house that was zoned for that school and we made the the leap 
and we were suburban family, even though we were very urban people. <laughs> <laughs> One of those big changes again. Yeah. Um, and then I finally was, you know, getting my feet wet with mainstreaming him into school and starting to learn the procedural safeguards um, and provisions for us as parents and exercising our rights is very complicated bureaucracy of education that is very time consuming um, and complicated to navigate on top of navigating your child's care plans and any other platforms of their lives. So, and mm-hmm. all, they all have separate treatment plans. So, um, what we had decided when he did start school is that he still needed to maintain ABA hours because we saw a lot of benefit from ABA. And we also knew that if we decreased those hours, we weren't going to get them back. So whatever we were going to cut out, we knew we had to say goodbye to, because once you do that, you can't, you just can't get them back unless there's like a major regression. Mm -hmm. Um, so we split up his day and he was in the pre-K. They had what they called um, in Pflugerville. This was unique to them. They have a Pegasus program, which is an inclusion classroom. It's um, split between um, the administration's students. So they're pre-K age children of like the staff, neurotypical ch- children, and then children and that were eligible for services um, we're, we're in that classroom and it was a two year classroom. So it was basically intended for, well, anywhere between three to five year old, uh, it depends on like your cutoff, right. For your, for your birth date. So, mm-hmm. um, and I thought, wow, that's brilliant. Like that's exactly what I want because I did not want him in a restricted classroom environment because that communication disorder school that we had him in, he ended up in a very restricted classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not exposed to typical peers. He was not getting exposed to, um, other peers that were verbal. He was in a class with other two extremely severe autistic, um, children. And Mm -hmm. he seemed very frustrated and unhappy. I mean, it was really Mm -hmm. bad. Um, where we had, when he started ABA, that separation anxiety had immediately improved. Um, like he would separate from us willingly and mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like on day one, it was what's happening. How is that a magic wand? Like what's happening right now? Because mm-hmm. it never happened. We can't even have a babysitter. We can't even leave you with grandma without you having like, you know, screaming fit at least for a time period. Like this is amazing. What is this? And, um, so then when, once almost, I guess, halfway through the school year last year, you know, we got like after Christmas break, we got his first progress notes and there were IEP goals that hadn't been touched upon. And I was kind of concerned about them. And then there were like, then there was a general progress note that was sent home from the teacher. That was just, you know, one that she sends to all the students. And he says, Oh, she, she wrote like all these very encouraging words. And Rory was very bonded with this teacher. Like I really do love this teacher. Like I don't have anything bad to say about her in terms of like her dedication, her devotion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I didn't realize was that in Texas, or at least in this district of Texas, that the kids in the early intervention program, the, pre-K teachers were the caseworkers as well. So right. they were writing curriculum and doing the caseload. And she had a half room full of cases. Mm. A lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, how 
are you juggling all this? And it made all made sense that her time and availability, like she just didn't have time to have more communication with me. So, mm. um, she seemed very optimistic about Rory going into kindergarten. And I thought, I don't feel like he's ready for kindergarten yet. Or like, how do we get him there? And then, or, you know, well, why isn't he hit these other goals? I had all these questions. Right. So then I sit down, I meet with her and then I talked to her about extended school year and she said, yeah, he's kind of on my, he's one of my list of potentials. And I said, okay. And then what was it? It was around March. I was getting emails from all of his private care providers saying they wanted his schedule for the summer and the following school year already. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And like, it's just, it's March. And Oh, it's February, and I just had a meeting yesterday with Logan's BCBA talking about summer. So, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I don't even have answers from school yet. Like, I don't really know. So I hadn't heard back from the teacher after that conference, and I had messaged her, and I'd said, you know, hey, I need to know, you know, what those dates for extended school year would be like, and, you know, did you get to look at the data? And she had a very curt response back, and she said, yeah, he's not applicable. And I'm like, Okay. And it took me like a day to respond back and said, well, is it any possible that like I can see the, the data like before we go into what we call here when we go into an IEP meeting, it's called an ARD committee meeting. Mm. Before we go into the ARD, can I see it? There's crickets. There's nothing I heard. I got a notification for an ARD meeting. The Friday, it was on, the meeting was on a Monday, late Thursday, they sent me preliminary workings of like goals and a potential like placement for next year. And I didn't really understand that there was a whole new terminology thrown in there and it was called essential academics. I'm like, what is this? Mm. I felt then on top of it, you know, they sent us all of his recent evaluations, you know, where showing where he was ranking and it was just like taking, you know, when you see those evaluations, those are like taking bullets every, oh, you yeah. know, they, they, a lot of them, I, I would say, this year or like this like uh, midway through this school year i and i'm a different phase with all of it and also because rory's you know he's had this like um burst this explosion that's happening right now that we all kind of can't like in ways catch up with <laughs> um so i like you know i've kind of left that part of me but but that was hap- very real at that time and i was like it just makes it so much harder to comprehend what's in front of you and understand like what they're suggesting. And it was weird because I wanted to have these conversations with teachers and I, like of a plan for Rory. Like I was proactive, like in the beginning of February, I started this conversation. And then when we get into that meeting, it was like totally blindsided. And she said, well, the reason why we're suggesting essential academics, which I learned was the special ed room for K through fifth graders. So it wasn't necessarily, it was going to be a mix of peers, not necessarily designated to kindergarten or first, like, I was like, what? I'm like, this isn't, and it wasn't inclusive. It was very restrictive. It had some like bits and pieces of inclusion in the day and where he was with typical peers, mainly for like socials and stuff. And I was like, she goes, well, we're suggesting this because we are just assuming he's going to miss a lot of school for ABA next year. And I was like, oh, well, I can resolve that right now. We, we need to have him in school for the full day. Then let's have ABA in school. So 
that is where my journey is still to this day. Um, <clears throat> we left, com- we did not agree to anything in that meeting. We had another meeting. They ended up not, they took him out of, pro- took out proposing um, gen- essential academics and put him in general pop inclusion with supports. Um, we all agreed, we ended up like refining the goals and that stuff we were in agreement with, but we just, we had the district denying us saying like, nope, we're not going to approve ABA. I'm like, okay, well, I will see you in mediation or whatever, like the next. Mm-hmm. So before we went that, I just started having my legal advocate and attorneys like talk. They hired an attorney. We did this, all this back and forth over the summertime and we went to mediation, then ended up in non-consensus. Then it seemed like we were, we kept it open. We thought we're going to keep the conversation going. And f- I started to have some breakthroughs. Um, I had found uh, two places, uh, two, I guess, pra- care providers, ABA providers that specialized in working in an educational environment. And I presented that to the district um, and – then I ended up getting expert letters from my pediatrician and a current ABA provider and saying that not only is, and this is essential wording, is ABA educationally necessary, but it, sorry, medically necessary, but it's educationally necessary. Um, because in all of my back and forth with them, that's what I was basically proving. Like, I can't just cut out ABA. He has to have it. And I also can't extend his, his school day. I can't have him in school for a full day to meet FAPE guidelines because they were saying they were denying me based on FAPE being like, I wasn't exercising my full administrative, um, rights because he was in school for the full day, but I, but it was because he had a medically excused absence. I was like, I don't understand. You can't tell me I'm not practicing FAPE when he has a medically excused absence. Like you can't play both sides of a coin here, but they were. And, I thought I kind of got the egg, you know, finally they were like, okay, we're going to, they gave me a consent, sent me a consent form to sign for them to talk with this company to get it going. And then they started talking about a contract, but it was this very like chase down game. They kept saying they couldn't get in contact with them or they weren't responding or that they weren't, there was all of this and they kept representing me with another option to have this other provider who only comes in to do FBAs, which is a functional behavioral analysis. And I said, well, no, that's biased because it's one, that's your preference of a provider. Two, it's not um, just raw data and it's not going to end up in a diagnostic assessment. It's going to be where they have a treatment plan for what he would recommend in school, not not an FBA, not just advising what the, t- the current team that's in place should do, because that doesn't replace the fact that I can't just cut out ABA from Rory's schedule. So I just kept at it. I just didn't give up. Um, I then, when they were like, oh, we're waiting for the CEO to sign the contracts. This is like late November. I'm like, great. So I went on LinkedIn. I chased down the CEO and I was like, where are you? <laughs> They need these contracts signed. Now, this is the holdup. And like him and I had this back and forth. And he then assured me that when he did sign them and send them, he had emailed me or messaged me. And then 
I messaged the district and they're like, well, we haven't received anything. And the CEO hasn't contacted us. I said, I know they haven't. I'm the one that chased them down. Like, I'm not just going to sit around and wait. Like, I'm not waiting. This is half the school year's halfway over. And we haven't even remedied my, the full conflict here with my kid's educational plan. And it's just more spinning wheels. So I, and I only gave consent to like a diagnostic assessment. And there was one, so in December, sorry, so then the contract got signed. December, my daughter and I, I ended up in the hospital with her because she fell playing with Rory and had an internal hematoma, turns out, and a skull fracture. <laughs> and um, oh my gosh. And as soon as we got out that day, I had gotten an email from the district saying that they needed me to sign consent, that the BCBA already started doing the assessment. And I said, okay. And they also told me the BCBA name that was going to be doing this assessment. So I had no reason to completely like go back, ask to look at the contract that I helped get executed. (laughs) Um, But in that consent form, there was a box that says assessment also including FBA. And I said, okay, well, I'm okay with that. Like if the assessment includes an FBA, that's fine. That can be totally part of the diagnostic assessment, but it's not, that's just a piece of it. That's not all of it. Right. And, um, but I was also like kind of in a stage of like, we, I'm very sleep deprived, really down on the self care because, you know, like all of that being in the hospital was not fun for mom. Mostly my daughter had a blast last two days. (laughs) (laughs) And when she like totally was bouncing back, she was having a great old time. Um, and then I, when I signed that consent form, I noticed that it said, oh, it doesn't have to be completed until February. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a school year is like basically over. And I messaged them back and I said, I really beg that we're not going to wait until February to have this complete. She said, no, she, she said she was going to have it done before the holiday. I'm like, okay, well, holiday passes early January. I kind of give everybody like a break, like that first week, even in the second week, I didn't message anyone. until the 17th. And to follow up, like, what's going on? Is the report complete? Nothing. Here, nothing. Like, oh, this is not a good sign. And I'm starting to call around, like, even calling the company, the contractor, being like, what's the hangout? What's the holdup? I can't get anybody to respond to me. I'm like, oh, I have just the, the sickest feeling in my stomach. Um, like, is this all going to just be sandbagged? Mm-hmm. And then she's like... Um, it was the beginning of February and they were like, oh, we just got the report. It's complete. And I was like, oh, okay. And then when we'll contact you to review it. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, can I get it in advance before I would sit down to review it? And then again, this is the, the, the language you're using is report. But then when I was, had included his special ed teacher on a communication, she threw around the term FBA. She's like, oh yeah, I just met with them and we reviewed the FBA. And I'm like, hmm, they might just be using that for short because they're more conditioned to use that terminology. It mm. will question it. And mind you, I'd also ask for a copy of the contract. The contract specifically said diagnostic assessment, because um, you're allowed to request that, at least in Texas. Anything that has your child's name on it, even if it's with a third party, you have the right to have a copy of it. So I should have gotten a copy of this, like, and asked for it way in advance, but I didn't. But I asked it at this point because we were waiting so long, and I just 
like didn't understand what the hangup was. And I was getting kind of mixed messaging once I finally did get to talk to that contractor and they just, and everybody was on the same page and I just, something stunk. And then, um, in this, like maybe a week later, there was an email from the district <laughs> just in general to the entire school district that they're going to be doing rezoning. And I'm like, Oh gosh, no. Like, oh goodness. the worst thing. Like, we have this hanging in the balance, and possibly Rory could be moving to a different school. I'm like, no. And so I'm, I'm getting involved, and I message the directors of zoning and expressing my concerns and asking questions. And um, then, <laughs> then I get like him and the way I had dialogue with them. I even went to a community meeting, I stood up and spoke. Um, I submitted several pieces of thoughts and concerns um, even after that, that was supposed to all be submitted to the board of trustees. And then my husband had just lightly mentioned, why don't you run for the board? And I was like, what? And I totally ignored it. And then two days later on our Facebook school page, it's, there was a notification that said that seat six and seven were stepping down. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I'll run for the school board. So I am running for seat six of the board of trustees in Pflugerville um, because I felt like, and they did end up voting and they voted to rezone and Rory is going right as it stands right now. He's going, going to be going to a different school, which I'm, I'm not happy about. Oh, wow. Um, because, because I will say this, the campus that he's on and the administrators that support him that are wonderful. Um, they really have done with what's in the realm of the possibility for them. You know, they, they are very devoted. We're gelled, you know, we're, we're, we're a good team. I just, I want my son to be in school for the full day. There's a, there's a stipulation behind that for me that I'm not going to let go of, um, because I could jeopardize his long-term outcome. What's really possible with what's working. And he mm -hmm. likes going to the center. You know, he likes ABA. Mm -hmm. You know, he's already even sad about considering, like, if he's in school full day, like, it's, you know, he's going to have minimal hours of possible center time anyway. But he likes it. I think, you know, he kind of likes the variation. Mm -hmm. Like, a very stimulated environment to a more chill environment at the center. Right. Um, and now he has a BCBA who I've dreamed of my entire life. <laughs> um, she's not a box checker. Um, she does not, though she applies this evidence-based research, she is more of a PRT approach, which is that pivotal response therapy approach, mm -hmm. which is about really respecting the child's auto autonomy and validating their feelings. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she's, um, my remember that cousin that's a BCBA, she mm -hmm. told me about ate the plate and I didn't realize that you had her on. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I've been trying to get his previous BCBAs to do that feeding program and they just didn't know anything about it, but this one did. So now we've started it and we're already starting to have success and I love it. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah, I love this new clinician. Um, I still kind of stand where I stand. I, I, I don't believe that the old school way of doing ABA is the way it should be done. You know, I don't necessarily like or approve of the founder of it and his, all of his theories about those with disabilities. I think they are, they're not, they're, 
they're really just they're they're invalidating they make them they or they make our kids seem inhuman and you know so if you like really look at it um from that perspective like i totally get why people are so divisive over this but i and i do think that it's different also you know clinician to clinician to as well as state to state and country to country um you know, this autism community is worldwide. It's not just, you know, in our individual towns or in our country itself. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I really feel strongly that this therapy mostly benefits my son educationally. Um, it's helped him acquisition faster and in general, like understand things and it helps us. It's helped us tremendously. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine our life without it. I mean, he, you know, he was getting, trying, he was opening the car door while I was driving. You know, he was eloping 18 times a day. Um, we, we, we just had so many things that were put, he was, he was in danger. We were putting ourselves in danger. was putting McKenna in danger at times that we couldn't control. And we was some of that was a lot of that was ADHD impulse driven too. He's since he has started guamphacine, um, that has been amazing for him. Um, I'm a big fan of it, to be honest. I am really apprehensive and reluctant. And one reason why I love our neurologist so much is that's typically his stance is that he's reluctant to do medication. Um, it has to, he has to see real real cause. And he believes that it's, it's only a tool. It is not a solution. It is just a tool. It's just like a key to unlock a door, mm-hmm. not, you know, a solution. So, um, it's just one of the tools that we use and it's working very well for him. Um, and so now it's just about where we stand. I'm, I'm now in the process why I'm kind of campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, writing complaints. I have another meeting set up um, with the committee, like still trying to remedy all of this because what they did present me with was not what was contractually aligned. And, you know, that that even in the contract, there was a predetermination of hours. It had like 13 hours total from like the start of contract, the fiscal school year to the end of this fiscal school year. And I was like, what? 13 hours? Like, that's nothing. Yeah. And she's like, oh, no, that's just a placeholder. So she completely led me on to believe that this was like we were legitimately on the course. I thought I was going to go into that previous meeting that I just had a week ago and be negating over hours, being like, oh, we think he only needs 10 and we want him to have 20 or something like that. Like mm-hmm. not, well, this is what we recommended for the team in place. And I'm like, where's the treatment plan? I'm like looking, people are looking at me like I have three heads in a room full of people that also were not in the mix to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it was very, um, I was very stunned by it Mm -hmm. again. And, but you just forge on, you just don't give up. And, and I will say, I remember in conversations that I've heard you have with other parents, like in terms of like, when do you make the decision to how much pressure are you going to put on the school? Right. And 
in the beginning of the school year, I would say that the fract the relationship was a little fractured with the campus as well as the district, but but I managed to repair and mend and have a good relationship with the campus and only take up my discourse with the district. And I still, to this day, do that at this point because they're the ones in leadership because teachers can only do so much. And I believe they're doing everything that they can. So mm-hmm. um, I, it's, it's a hard button to know whether to push because we all get scared about what's going to happen to our kids if we push, like what's going to be the after effect. And there's a lot of variables you have to assess in that. And it can, it's like this, you know, educated strategic decision, like the best case scenario, you're like, you know, what, what is the least risky, but going to maybe have an impact. Um, and I just see that there's not a lot of representation in our communities and general population of like special ed it's just like we kind of lurk in the shadows and um I just kind of felt sick of it and I felt that we were not a part of the guiding principles and making the boundary adjustments like there were no exceptions there were no safeguards for our kids with with IEPs kids that were more vulnerable I feel very strongly there's there needs to be a paradigm shift and and how decisions like that are made and considering kids like ours um, because changes for our kids, our kids are just kids. All kids are developmentally different period, but a neurotypical child is much more resilient with change than a child with any type of disability, specifically a neurological one. And I, I don't think there's enough emphasis made on that. Mm-hmm. and they school districts are just conditioned to a certain way of operating and not realizing there's a bigger picture to be considering um, when looking at like the long-term outcomes of kids with disabilities in the school systems that the pipeline to incarceration, you know, our incarceration population in the nation makes up 40% of it is people have disabilities. You know, I, it's, we need to be very proactive educationally and just knowing a lot of that because there's not a lot to prepare our kids for our kids for adulthood, not even knowing how independent, whatever, wherever they land, Mm -hmm. you know, those, these ongoing things. And as time goes on, you know, it, it runs the shelf life becomes less and less, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things being done now, but still not enough to serve the population. Like there's a lot of positive things being done, but not enough that I feel is going to set us up for success in the future. So it's like, I feel that fighting for what's right for my son's education and possibly other kids' education, because I believe this could help benefit you know, if this works for him, ABA, they do have, there's a lot of, there's certain schools that do have ABA in school mm-hmm. it's part of their treatment plan and, or part, part of their educational plan in Hawaii, it's mandated, um, that they do. And so we just federally not on the same page. The school districts in Texas are not on the same page. 
they've had a corrective action plan that's supposed to have been enforced by this past January because Texas has been fined like $33 million in special education funding because they were capping off eligibilities. Um, and a previous district that we were in was actually one of the districts that was doing that. So oh, wow. like there's, there is dire straits happening in Texas that even, you know, trickle into effect the, uh, what I believe are the good districts here in Texas. And as I'm learning, it's just, a, Texas is another planet. Yeah. <laughs> Before we started recording, that's what you said. It is another planet. I mean, my <laughs> legal advocate was telling me stories and I was like, why did I move? How did I move here? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. The things that cases that he's had, I just, it's, He said, well, just, he said, thank God you're not in the panhandle. Just, he said, be happy about that. Thank God you're in a more like densely populated area around an urban area. Not like, I think it does really depend though, not just state to state, but like he said, where you are in each state. And I mean, honestly, I, I just, I admire your fight so much and just everything that you're doing for your son. And like you said, now to help, help other kids with getting on the board. Cause I agree with everything you said that like, we're, we're moving in the right direction, but we still have a ways to go. I've said that many times on this podcast, but it's like, we, yeah, I think especially, especially having a special needs child, you see all the flaws in, you know, the education system. And I think honestly, like we're, we're not even really serving the typical kids no right yeah it's really it's 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 honestly like it's pretty bleak and I think it it, the only thing that's gonna gonna change that is is people like you advocating and you know crusading for our kids so I am just so so thankful that you have taken up this fight and I hope that you get on the board and just continue because I think that you can you can just really change and inspire a lot of people um, I feel like we have so much more to chat about, but we're getting getting into it. So I think we probably should wrap up. Can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you if they have any questions or want to just chat? Uh, yeah. So it's really easy, easiest to find me on Instagram at justgene underscore WM. So it's Wade Mayer. That's my <laughs> Jean Wade Mayer. Um, and so you can DM me or message me there. I do post uh, things in our personal life, as well as updates in terms of my advocacy and things that I'm doing. And then I will start (laughs) a campaign page. I'm also on Facebook. Um, and I know in the beginning, we also talked a little bit about Texas parent to parent. Um, so Texas parent, so parent to parent is actually a national organization and there are, are, um, chapters in different States. And if there's not an actual parent to parent chapter, we have associated organizations that we refer people to. Um, but parent to parent is great for organizations are great for anyone that is seeking, you know, a mentor. So if you need someone who's, you know, already walked down this path and being paired up with another family that's started to experience it, this is a one way ticket into that. And I honestly, I wish I had that out of the gate. I didn't have that right away. Um, but that's a, that's a vital ingredient. Um, that's like one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast because I, I, like you said, like someone to kind of hold your hand and just sort of guide you. I wanted this, the podcast to maybe like kind of 
give that to you in a different kind of a way. Cause like you said, I, I would have benefited so much from that or like how you said, you know, you expect people to, to give you, you know, the support in this path and for it to come to you. And it's like, really, you have to like piece it together. And I, I wanted to, you know, help other parents who were in that same situation that I was, where it's like, you, you do just feel like so lost when this journey first kind of gets thrust upon you. And it's, it's amazing when I hear from people who, you know, they're, they're early in their, their journey and they're just, just kind of getting started. And then they're like, Oh, I found the podcast and I'm so grateful. And I, I always say to them, I'm like, I, I think back to those days for myself and I know what a great resource this would have been for me. Right. <laughs> I'm so happy to, to be able to provide that. Um, but yeah, definitely everything that you've been saying about parent to parent is incredible. They, um, so a lot of times I will tell you this, I tell there's, they ask questions, um, periodically throughout or wait until the end. And they ask like, well, what resources do you recommend, you know, people who have received diagnosis, like, where do you send them? What are some social media platforms and stuff like that? And, I actually, your podcast is the one that I'd say. Oh, I said send parents that because usually, even if you don't listen from everything from soups nuts, you can surf for a topic um, that you're curious about and listen in. Um, that and, is so sweet of you. Thank you. <laughs> but because those that resource wasn't those types of things. Those are things that people can do. Like they can listen to while they're in their kitchen. Right. They're not to sit down and necessarily read. You know, like that. Right. Kind of, and it helps you multitask as well as taking in information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I also advise things that people didn't advise me is that find adults with autism, you know, find them out in the community. Um, people are like, well, what organization should I go? Autism organizations should I support? I'm like, I don't even give an answer for that because I found them all to be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and honestly, inauthentic and not very helpful for me. That was just my experience. And so I wanted something much more personal. And, you know, I ended up luckily did getting a line through a friend with a, with a mentor, um, who is amazing, who's been an amazing support for our family. And, but she was not related to anything related to Texas parent to parent. And in fact, I didn't find out about Texas parent to parent until, one day I was actually riding at the equine ranch <laughs> and one of the parents, the volunteers there takes their child, their works for a Texas parent to parent. She was telling me about it. And then when I started getting hot and heavy with the school district and had a legal advocate, he was like, Oh, you should go to the Texas parent to parent conference. It's great. I'm like, okay, I will go. I'm in. <laughs> was, it was amazing. It yeah. was the best two days I spent, and that was even helpful. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so even I believe if you even go to the Texas parent to parent dot org uh, website, you should be able to find the jump offs. So like other local chapters and other states. Okay. Yeah, that's a resource. Yeah. So yeah, want to make sure that we mentioned that because that is a huge piece for many parents struggling with any diagnosis. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, well, like I said, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and just sharing your journey. And again, just for all the, all the awesome advocacy work you're doing in, in Texas. But I mean, honestly, like it really is so important and it does kind of trickle down to all of us because we, we all need to work on 
making these changes. So it has just been a pleasure to get to chat with you today, Jean. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Megan. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT, and I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. (laughs) I love anything by Emily Giffen, like Something Borrowed or Something Blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Jean. Isn't she just awesome? When I was going back through this episode, I just felt a renewed sense of inspiration all over again, just listening to her her story and everything that she's doing. So thank you again, Jean, for coming on the pod and sharing all your pearls of wisdom with us. (laughs) It was really wonderful to get to talk to her. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures and Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures and Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures and Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. Again, I love to hear from you guys. I love getting feedback about the show. If you have any questions or comments, if you want to be a guest, please send me an email with a little bit of backstory. I would love to have you on. And if you've been listening to the show and enjoying it, I would be so appreciative if you would leave a review, especially those on Apple Podcasts. They really, really help people to find the show and they just make me so happy every time I see a new review. (laughs) Um, But that is all for today. So thank you so much for listening and until next time, take care.